Listener Production. Hey, hey, Father Alex, how are you? It's almost Christmas, and like many, I'm stepping foot in a church for the first time in a while. Yeah, uh, I'm at the church, yeah. It's the biggest Russian Orthodox church in Canberra. Don't let that give you the wrong idea, though. It's not that big. There are some onion-shaped domes on the roof, but I'm not here for the architecture. Okay, sounds good. See you then. Bye. I'm here because 30 years ago, this church became the centre of a global spy scandal. I'm waiting for Father Alexander, the dean of the church. So I scroll through my phone. It's December 2021. I stop on a video about Russian President Vladimir Putin amassing troops on the Ukrainian border. Prompting Ukraine, Poland and Lithuania to call for more Western sanctions against it in fear of an invasion. Putin is unpredictable. He says it won't happen. Russia has denied preparing for an invasion and has accused the West. Morning. I managed to sneak it around the side. Meeting the dean of the church, I didn't want to come empty-handed. I want your lemon slice of fear. Have you can eat it? Yes, look, I can't have a cup of tea without something to have. Oh, it's, so, it's so, vital. So. It's vital. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's switch the alarm off. Oh, what a great doors. Let's go upstairs to a car loft. Maybe. Oh, wow, I love that. I'm Joey Watson, and I love spy stories. As I've delved into the history of espionage in Australia, I've been struck by this pattern. So many Australian Cold War spy operations ended in failure. A few years ago, I heard a theory. I learned that during the Cold War, the Australian spy agency ASIO, the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, was penetrated by a mole, sabotaged from within, One of its own spies turned and began working for the enemy. I was also told that the mole had never been publicly identified. So that's what I set out to do, to find them. This is my journey to track down the spy who betrayed Australia. And when I started my investigation, I couldn't have predicted that Russia would invade Ukraine. The global tensions at the heart of this story were reignited. President Vladimir Putin has finally made his move, attacking Ukraine. 30 years after the fall of the Soviet Union, Russia's leader remains deeply resentful of how the Cold War ended, with Russia losing territory, influence and empire. This is Secrets We Keep, Nest of Traders.
Before we go any further, let me just set the scene real quick. I want to run through some Cold War history. From the 1940s, the world was divided between the democratic capitalist world, like the US, the UK, Australia, and the communist world, which centered around the Soviet Union. In this ideological battle, both sides had nuclear weapons, the power to completely destroy each other. But a war like this would mean mutual annihilation. So instead of using soldiers, both sides usually relied on spies. It was a covert battle between nations. So the menace against us is real. The KGB was the Soviet Union's largest spy agency. They planted spies all around the world to steal secrets and turn the West towards Soviet communism. The KGB is the one we're concerned with. From Moscow, the tentacles of the KGB go out to every country in the world. Including Australia. This country holds secrets that the Russians want. ASIO was the Australian spy agency created to try and weed the KGB out. The Cold War ended when the Soviet Union collapsed. By the end of 1991, the Russian Federation was born. That's the Russia we know today. And this is where I'm going to pick up the story. A lot of what I uncover in this series happened in secret. I'm picking up the story here because what happens in this episode is public. This is where my investigation into ASIO's mole started. At Father Alexander's church. It dropped out of the sky, totally. In 1993, Father Alexander got a knock on the door. It was the Australian Federal Police, the AFP. This became spook central, as it were, in the consciousness of people, you know, the Russian community, a den of, den of, den of spies. So it was a, it was a, that was a difficult period then. The AFP arrived at the church on the back of an overseas tip-off. The tip-off said there was an Australian spy inside ASIO who'd been secretly working for the KGB. A mole. No one knew how badly ASIO had been penetrated. It was decided that ASIO shouldn't try to find its own mole. So, the AFP was sent in to investigate. The AFP's investigation into ASIO was called Operation Liver. Liver, the organ that removes toxins from the body's blood supply. The investigators built a profile for the mole around two clues. The mole had a five-letter surname and a wife who also worked for ASIO. One of the parishioners at Father Alexander's church had become the main suspect. His name was George Sedil. That's the English version of the name he was born with, Sedilnikov. And I've heard people pronounce Sedil different ways. Sadel, Saddle, however you want to say it, it's a five-letter surname. S-A-D-I-L. George, uh, well, he was uh, um, just uh, one of the parishioners uh, devoted to his wife. They were, they were just sort of um, common garden variety parishioners. Sadil was a Russian translator who had worked for ASIO since 1968. And while he didn't have a wife in ASIO, he did have a sister who was a respected operator within the organisation. For the AFP investigators, it was close enough. 
the AFP began their investigation involving our community. And came to me and interviewed me and that's and I showed them our, our parish membership list. The AFP wanted to ask the congregation what they knew about Sadil. It pretty much became an A to Z interview list. I remember the secretary of our parish at the time talking to me afterwards and saying, Father, the police came to me and asked me, do I know George Saddle? And do I know if he goes to Sydney? And I said, well, how would I know if he goes to Sydney or not? And what business is it of mine anyway? This was a level of sort of questioning when they came to a husband and wife living up here in a nursing home and, and came and started asking them about George Saddle. These poor people thinking, you know, is this the old days of, of you know, a knock at the door and an investigation? They had no idea why they were there. Here we were, a community of loyal Australians put under suspicion. I found out Sadil was still alive, living in a Russian nursing home. I tried calling him, but the receptionist I spoke to refused to pass on my message. She was worried I'd upset him. So I wrote a letter. I bought a stamp and everything explaining my enduring interest in the story and how I needed to get his side of it. A week later, Sadil called me. So there I was, having coffee and poroshki with the AFP's main mole suspect. My Russian is not so good. <laughs> I have to, I have to learn. What, what sort of poroshki do you like? Meat. Or maybe, maybe ricotta. I had one blueberry ricotta piroshki, the other was mince, I think beef. I can confirm they were delicious. Sadil is now in his late 80s, has thinning blondish hair, glasses. He gets by well with a walking frame. He exudes a sort of kind confidence that seems to warm the Russian women working in the cafeteria at his nursing home. This is When I came to Australia, I was determined to be a good Australian. Always supported the Aussies. Always rah, 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 you know? Sadil's family were anti-communist Russians. They came to Australia as refugees when he was just a teenager. Every time there's a football thing, you know, you do the right thing and you, you, you blend with the people. In the late 1960s, Sadil was working as a police officer in Canberra when he was recruited by ASIO. As a native Russian speaker, he was very valuable. ASIO intercepted phone calls made by Soviet officials in Australia. They needed someone like Sadil to translate the endless conversations they were listening in on. It was a requirement for them to, to keep a track on them to see what's happening, who's contacting especially the, uh, the KGB. And you actually live with them. Every day you listen to their voices and all that, you partially get to know them, although you never met them personally. Sadil's job was to listen to and translate the conversations of Soviet officials. Of course, he never meets them. Until one day, he does. One of the Soviet officials Sadil was listening to 
starts attending services at Sedil's church, you know, Canberra's biggest Russian Orthodox church. The Soviet official's name is Vyacheslav Tataranov. He's a trade official. On paper, at least, Tataranov was trying to get Australia and the Soviet Union to, well, trade. But throughout the Cold War, the Soviet Union would use titles like trade official as cover for their spies. Trade official by day, espionage by night sort of stuff. It was ASIO's job to figure out whether or not Tataranov was a spy. After a decade of listening to Tataranov's phone calls, George Shadil officially met Tataranov at the church. And strangely, despite the years of listening to his conversations, Sadil and Tataranov actually became quite close. Tataranov's whole family wanted to be baptised at the Orthodox Church, and Sadil became godfather to Tataranov's teenage son. I can't refuse from the religious point of view. And yet, by the same token, I thought, you know, well, well, well what can I do? I'll do the honours. The actual ceremony was in the packed church. The church was full and they were baptized. I think I even got photographs to show you. Now you see, this is a sepulcher. And look at all the, look at all the people around. And this is where they're getting dunked. This was the first time I'd seen what Tataranov looks like a hulking middle-aged man with receding black hair, a moustache and glasses. You see, I've got so many, so many photographs of it. And here, this is the aftermath. This is where he was standing all wet. This is where he was being anointed. There, you can't tell me that we didn't baptize him properly. Sometime after Tataranov's baptism, Sadil started to notice he was being watched. When did you first begin to suspect that you had come under suspicion? First we noticed uh, when we um, were driving along, and my wife, she was very, very observant, and she said to me, she said, you know, we've been followed. I said, you're joking. No, no, all right. So uh, we kept uh, visual on that. And sure enough, there was that car following us all the time, everywhere we went. Then he noticed his neighbours doing some strange gardening. We had beautiful bushes opposite us, like in the house. And one day I, I came home, I took my little dog for a walk. We had a little chihuahua. And uh, I had a look at them hacking all these uh, bushes off. Beautiful flowers and all that. And I told my wife, I said, it's rather unusual, you know, why, why would they do a thing like that? Well, she said, to each his own. Sadil didn't know that the Australian Federal Police had moved in across the road. The AFP cleared bushes so they could watch him in his living room. They planted cameras in his office and in the streets around his house. And then one day I went for a walk and I said to my wife, I said, look at that. That doesn't look like lanterns. She looked at this and she said, they're cameras. Sadil was being watched for months. And then, on a cold night in early June 1993, 
there was a loud knocking on his front door. A real, real heavy banging, no other, no other voice. And my wife was very, very frightened. She was worried. She said, don't open the door, it's probably a drunk. Well, I said, well, drunk or not, we'll still have to find out, you know. So I, I just unleashed the door. I swung the door open, shoved the warrant card in my face. And the first thing he said, where are the documents? Laid out in Sadil's living room were classified ASIO documents. Sadil had removed the documents from ASIO headquarters. I'd heard he'd hidden them in the lining of his jacket. This was illegal. And they thought that, you know, I was a wall. That night, Sadil was arrested. Told me to come with him to the police station. I was, I was completely lost. I didn't know what was happening to me. Sadil faced 37 espionage-related charges and serious prison time. The court proceedings began in late 1993. This was the first major espionage case in Australian history. It was a big deal and got international attention. I wanted to know exactly what evidence the AFP used to try and pin Sadil as the mole. I needed to get the court records, so I worked with my editor, Claire Weaver, to try and get hold of them. So originally I was like, can we try and get the documents? I don't even know what I said here. Yeah, I'm a bit lost here. The transcripts, right? Yeah. Claire is an expert at shaking government agencies for documents. If they exist, she seems to be able to get them. So my original email was to the media team for the court, for ACT courts. And I said I was writing to request access to transcripts from a national security case heard in the Supreme Court of the ACT. It took a month for the court officers to find the case folder. And when they did, it was almost empty. No transcripts of the proceedings, no judgments, no record of evidence submitted. Is that strange to you? Yeah, that's strange. You'd think that there would be a fair bit of documentation in there. Disappearing documents, eh? Yeah. Okay. With no official documents, all I've got is newspaper reports and the people I've chatted with who were there in the court. They're a part of this case that many people told me they'll never forget. So here it is, the prosecution of George Sedil, as best as I can tell. In court, the prosecution laid out their case against Sedil. The AFP knew Sadil had been taking documents from ASIO. This was illegal, but this alone didn't mean he was the mole. To pin him as a mole, the prosecution had to prove that Sadil had passed the documents on to the Soviet Union. For this reason, Sadil's relationship with Tataranov, his friend from church, came under intense suspicion. The investigators thought Tataranov was the link between Sadil and the Soviet Union. They thought Tataranov was a KGB spy and the whole trade official thing was a cover and that Sadil was handing top-secret ASIO documents to Tataranov, the idea being Tataranov would then pass those documents to the KGB. To prove this, a witness was called to the stand who had to be completely disguised. Because he was afraid of his own shadow, he didn't want to be 
identified. He didn't want to be killed and all that sort of thing. The witness was known only as Witness A. Witness A was a former KGB operator who had defected to the West. Nothing was disclosed that might identify him. His height, his age, nothing. He gave evidence from behind a screen and supposedly wore a wig. Witness A was used to try and prove that Tataranov was a KGB spy. They made a circus tent out of the courtroom where they segregated the bench from the uh, spectators and we were sitting with the spectators and newsmen were. Witness A told the court that he had seen Tataranov at the KGB headquarters in Moscow, twice. According to Sadil, the testimony of Witness A was picked apart by his lawyer. The testimony went something like, What does he look like? Oh, normal. All right, normal, haha. <laughs> Did he wear glasses? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't remember. So I think so, I'm not sure. Mm. He said, what about the build? Could you, could you explain how, how big he is? Oh, normal, normal, normal. Normal is a very vague way to describe anyone, let alone someone you're trying to identify as a KGB spy. There were other witnesses the prosecution summoned to give evidence against Sadil. AFP investigators, espionage experts, former colleagues. They tried everything. 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 Even some imaginary fantasies that they had. Every day there was another allegation, another insinuation, and nothing was even close to, to the truth. They bullshit their way through. Even with all of these witnesses and all of the resources of the AFP's Operation Liver, the hours and hours of careful watching and listening, it wasn't enough. They had no evidence of Sadil handing documents to Tataranov. They weren't even able to establish that Tataranov had been a spy for the KGB. Maybe Sadil and Tataranov had been so good at covering their tracks, their espionage was undetectable. Or maybe they really were just friends from church. I don't know if Tataranov was a KGB spy or not. What is suspicious is that Tataranov never appeared in court. I looked into this but couldn't confirm why. I tried to find Tataranov and heard all sorts of rumours about where he ended up. The most intriguing was that he had died in California at the hands of the Russian Mafia but I checked for police records and found nothing. I did find a number for his daughter who'd been interviewed at the time of the court proceedings saying her dad wasn't a KGB spy. When I called her and introduced myself, she hung up very quickly. By the end of 1994, the main espionage charges against Sadil were dropped. Insufficient evidence. George Saddle is a relieved man. Yesterday, the Director of Public Prosecutions dropped the serious espionage charges. Mr Saddle isn't blaming all of ASIA for what he's been through, but he is questioning the worth of loyalty. Sadil was left to plead guilty to minor charges of taking unauthorised documents home. He didn't have to go to prison, just a good behaviour bond. Sadil insists, to this day, the documents the AFP found in his living room were not highly classified national security documents. 
There were documents about his retirement. All I was interested was in my superannuation. I wanted out. I wanted to get a good handshake or something like that. After 27 years of service, it was a loyal service. It was good. I haven't been able to confirm what documents Sadil had in his living room. Some of my most trusted sources think Sadil's guilty. Others I trust swear his innocence. Betraying your country is a crime. It's treason. Overseas, there are moles currently serving life sentences in prison. Some have given up information that has gotten people killed. So you've got to have a good reason to become a mole. Some moles have been motivated by money, others by ideology. To me, George Sedil doesn't really fit the profile of ASIO's mole. I think his prosecution was just a distraction, a small part of a much bigger story. Only a few years ago, in 2019, that's almost 30 years after he was arrested, Sadil told me he got a call from ASIO. He said to me, you know, we were from ASIO. Can we have a talk to you? I said, right. I got nothing to hide. You want to talk to me? I'll talk to you. Anyway, the guy apparently, he liked talking to me and all that. A couple of weeks later, he rings again. Can I see you again? Yeah, same thing. He rang up the third time. I said, look, mate, I already told you everything. We've got nothing else to talk about. Thank you very much, but uh, let's call it quits. So he did, and he didn't bother me since. He just wanted to talk about what happened in the 90s? Yeah, yeah. That's all? Yeah. Talk about the court yeah. case. No. That was it. Mm. And they didn't speak about anything else, mm. so... No, not even, no, what do you think of this person or this person? Or... No. That's so strange. Well, I couldn't care less. I told him where to get off and that's it. To leave you alone? I said, I'm not interested in it. I never was interested in this intelligence bullshit. And, uh... Is it still on? Yeah. Can we turn it off? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. It seemed like in 2019, ASIO was still interested in this story. They were following it, like me. If ASIO hadn't found their mole, then the real traitor could still be out there. People told me to wrap up my investigation here and leave it to history. I couldn't help myself. I was pulled into a world that I had only seen in movies and read about in books, but that I never knew actually existed in the real world, let alone in Australia. No mystery is straightforward. In the world of espionage, truth becomes blurry and strange. And this story was about to get even bigger than I'd ever anticipated. I think about it. Intergenerational penetration. The fabric of nightmares, my friend the fabric of nightmares. The mole might not have been acting alone. Come with me as I go inside ASIO to try and find out who else is involved. That's next episode. In your feed now. 
Secrets We Keep, Nest of Traders is created and hosted by me, Joey Watson. Our supervising producer is Jake Morecambe. Executive producer is Ellen Leebeater. Sound design by Niall Fernandez. Fact-checking by Bonnie Lavelle and Alastair Kirkby. Their theme song was written by Matt Nikolic. And thanks to Mike Williams. Melanie Withnell is listener's head of news and information. We used archive from Australian Broadcasting Corporation Library Sales, BBC News, Nine News Australia, Library of Congress, National Archives of Australia, and AP. This podcast was recorded on Ngunnawal, Gabrigal, and Gadigal land. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past and present. 